Shawty, what's all with y'all? Oh, hi. Coming to say you're lucky, fine. We got to cutting it off. It she know about the kid and fuck on my line. I'ma keep it up all with y'all. But Shawty, I'm trying to make you mine. Don't make it too easy, I wanna try. She looking too good, can't let it go by. Oh, yeah. Think I won the lotto. This slow mulatto. She could be a model. She wanna show me some. Think I won the lotto. All right, in today's episode, we're going to talk with Jack Church about uh, Tennessee fandom and that horrific Tennessee loss to Kentucky this weekend. And then we're going to get into a little NHL talk, which is a first on the Lovecast. So uh, stay tuned for that. All right, we're here with Jack Church, my former co- or I guess commentary partner uh, for the Ice Falls in Tennessee. Jack goes to the University of Tennessee. He's from Massachusetts, so he's also a Bruins fan like myself. So we connect on the Tennessee, we connected on the Bruins, and um, we're going to be talking about both teams coming up. Um, Jack is also the co-host of the Stick and Puck podcast with my cousin Duncan Wagon. So Jack, thank you for coming on the Lovecast. Thank you for having me here. Of course. Uh, I've been. This has been a long time coming. I've wanted to have you on for a while. Um, I'll be honest with you, I'm not the... I'm be, Doing the Ice Falls commentary with you got me back into hockey a lot more, so... I, we're, we're definitely going to have you on again to talk about hockey. But in the meantime, we got to talk about our fucking volunteers. Um, Jack's a freshman at UT, so he hasn't been through as much of the pain. Even that, I mean, I'm not like anything. It's not like I've been a ton through a ton of pain, but as you know, those lifelong UT fans that just get fucked over every year. But you got a slight taste of what it's like um, between both the South Carolina game, losing Hendon, um even before that i don't know if you're following but i figured you might be because you knew you're going to college here that uh this summer with our baseball team just absolutely choking um first round when we were the best team in the nation and then now it feels like tennessee could do no wrong we were i believe four and oh in conference play and we came in ranked five and we lose to an unranked kentucky team that was falling apart there was talks of getting rid of john calipari or him taking the texas coach coaching job um really this was worst case scenario we lost at home jack give us our a little bit of your feelings towards that game so far it just feels like rick barnes head coach of the tennessee volunteers it just feels like he can't win a big game and people here's what's going to happen people are going to say well we beat kansas and it's like okay you beat kansas with a thousand people in a fucking ballroom in the bahamas wow what an impressive win you, you lose to Arizona on the road, and then you can't win a home game, too, against a Kentucky team who lost at home to South Carolina. We crushed. We crushed by over 40 points. Yeah. The Saturday before. You're, you're fifth in the nation. And the fucking crazy thing is I almost have more faith in the women's team at this point. I lost six games out of conference, which yeah. is ridiculous that that's the case. It's It's really just painful. I mean... The thing was, I've been saying it all year, and this is what we do as sports fans, where if it if it's not what you say happens, then you're not going to mention it. But if what you've been saying happens, you're going to mention it and take all the credit for it. And I'm not trying to do that. I really am not. But I've been saying this all year that Tennessee, like on paper, looks a lot better than we do in person. I got to three games this, this year so far before I came back home, and I mean – Granted, they were playing like really bad competition, but I just I was watching this team and I kept telling everyone, like, I don't think we're going to go very far this year. And it's weird because the Ken Palm stats had us ranked number one in defense in the nation. 
And then we were at the time before the Kentucky game, we were ranked number two overall. Still and are. Still are. Okay. I, I didn't check it because I just, I didn't, br- I don't understand how we are ranked number two right now. I couldn't bring myself to check that because I figured we'd drop down. But um, I mean, the stats just don't really back up what we see. I mean, granted, we, we look great. We could come out and look great against Mississippi State in about 45 minutes whenever they come on. But I just, I don't know. I, this team to me feels like they fold when they get under the most pressure. Um, I would say the two highest pressure points were Kansas in this game. Would you agree with that so far this year? Um, yeah, I think Kansas this game, Arizona. Yeah, that's a Colorado environment. Was like the Colorado. Pre- I was at, I was at that game. Yeah, so, like a two and a half hour bus from Knoxville with a bunch of people to go to that game. Yeah, so um, to me it just feels like I don't know. I you know Rick Barnes' history in March. Um, he has awful. Last year, we we were expected to do well. We completely blew it in a horrific game that we lost. I remember just it felt like it felt like this game against Kentucky. It just felt like they could get nothing going. Um, and then looking at the stats, I mean, we played Shibway as best as you could play him. He only had fifteen. Granted, he did have thirteen rebounds, but if you look at everyone else on the roster, the next highest rebounding was for Jacob Toppin with eight. The rest of the team had four was the next highest following Jacob Toppins eight. Um, that being said, though, the rebounds are kind of what brought Kentucky to win. I mean, they got we got pretty badly out rebounded. Uh, Kentucky had 43 total, 13 offensive. Tennessee had 23 total, four offensive. I thought they did as best they could kind of shutting down Shibwe, um, both offensively. And I know he had 13 boards, but like, this is a guy who's capable of getting 20 rebounds. So yeah, like holding him to 13 was not a win per se, but like if you watch this game, basically Euros was playing man defense on Shibway the entire time and just doing the utmost possible contact creation to make sure Shibway couldn't get a rebound. Other than that, our shooting was really what killed us. We shot uh three for 21 from three for an abysmal 14.3%. Um, when you shoot 14% from a three-point line, you're not going to win a game. So did you take anything else away from what caused us to lose? Um, I mean, the shooting was just terrible. I feel like there were six, at least six or seven open layups in that game. Oh, my God. just completely yes. missed. Oh, the Zakai one, the wide-open Zakai one around, like, to close the half was one of the worst ones. And that just – I, I, were you at that game? No, I don't. No, know. I wasn't. I'm still. I'm still not back. I'm still. Okay. Yeah, you're still in mass. As soon as I asked, I was like, "You're literally sitting in your room right now, so clearly you're here." Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's a Kai. It just I could feel the air go out of the building. I wasn't there, but I could imagine. Um, if you were there, you'd probably back that up. You could just feel it through the TV. Yeah, and maybe this is me bragging about my impact, but I feel like the crowd as a whole was just kind of subpar the whole game. Yeah, so if you guys, you guys might have, if you watch Tennessee Volunteers basketball, you might actually know Jack because he's the guy who sits behind the basket in the orange orange uh, suit. So I text him every time I'm at a game that he's at because you're almost always on the jumbotron, are you not? I am because the guy I stand next to is actually friends with the guy who does it. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. So yeah. You're, you are always on the Jumbotron. I make sure to shoot you a text every time. Um, but yeah, so if you've been watching a Vols game, you might have seen Jack in the first round, or first row, rather. Um, but yeah, following that, I mean, really no one on our team played exceptionally, exceptionally well. Um, Euros had probably one of his better games. Euros frustrates the crap out of me. Um, 
He had three rebounds, but he also had 19 points. He was literally the only one that could score other than Santiago Viscovi, who was not for lack of trying. That's one of the big things with Santi is that if one goes in, it's almost like kind of a curse because he's just going to let it fly, which, I mean, they really could just get nothing going offensively. Did you notice anything offensively that Tennessee had issues with? Um, I mean, I just felt like we were forced to take bad shots. Kentucky defensively was doing a good job of just wearing out that shot clock keeping us on the outside and then you have situations where Vescovy is shooting one of six from three George James is shooting one of six for three Ziegler is shooting oh of three yeah and then you just can't get to the inside because Oscar Sheepway's interior defense is the best in the country maybe the second best behind Drew Timmy but one of the two best in the country yeah I mean the, yeah we're not giving I'm not giving Kentucky enough credit they did you know, play really good, good and solid defense. I have a question for you. Uh, when is Josiah Jordan James going to be good? Because I've, he is now a, I believe, yeah, he's a senior. I've been going to, I've been going to Tennessee for three years. I haven't seen him really play well. He was supposed to be the best player on our team. When is that going to happen? Or do you think it's never? I mean, you can use the injury excuse this year, but I feel like it's past time to do that. Um, I just I just don't know what sort of skill set he brings to this team because shooting six threes in a game against Kentucky that you have to win is not, I feel like, the spot where Josiah Jordan James can be successful. Yeah. I don't exactly know what spot that is, but that doesn't mean you should be putting him in for 28 minutes. I mean, you I completely agree, but he's just he's supposed to be like this backbone or backbone of our team, but I mean, he's averaging this year, he's averaging 8.4 points per game, 3.7 rebounds, two assists on 37.9% from the field goal line, or from, sorry, 37.9% field goal percentage, which is, in the NBA, that's abysmal. For college, obviously, you can get away with lower field goal percentages, but, um, I mean, his his lifetime average or lifetime field goal percentage 37.9 this year 38.8 last year 38.8 the year before 37.0 uh the year before that he's having a really tough time scoring the ball at all levels um i don't know i don't i just think tennessee lacks this star i know he had a bad game julian phillips i think he's going to be sort of the star for us going forward um i've seen some flashes from him that i'm very into i'm I'm sort of intoxicated with Julian Phillips right now. I know he only had two points, zero assists, and three rebounds in 18 minutes last game. But to me, I think he's going to be that guy that kind of flourishes into a star. Obviously, last year it was Kennedy Chandler for us. We just don't have anyone who's kind of that level. Um, what do you think you're going to be looking for against Mississippi State in order to get the win here? So the last time we played Mississippi State, we played them in Knoxville and absolutely ran them out of the building. Yep. I think we started on something ridiculous, like an 18 overon or yeah, just something completely insane. But I'd like to see more out of Julian Phillips. And then I think Olivier Kamwa has had some very good games for us this year. He didn't he didn't produce much against Kentucky at only two points in 13 minutes, but he was in I think. think. Yeah, I'd just like to see more of him. But yes, completely agree. And less of Zakai Ziegler. <laughs> really? I understand. I think I think Zakai gets a lot of um 
he's going to rightfully so he's going to get a lot of the or the brunt of like the blame for this loss to Kentucky but he had seven assists that came he was the only one facilitating the ball um you just gotta look Kentucky's a relatively long and lanky team that's just not the type of team that's gonna be tough for Zakaia to play in but I cut you off continue what you're saying I just so first of all he went over three from three Mm -hmm. that's the first thing which to me isn't a shot ability issue it's a shot selection issue from watching that game Secondly, I feel like he's a complete liability on the defensive end. But that's and that's just because of size. Yeah. Um the pressure that he puts on the ball ball is really what it was actually giving Kentucky issues in the beginning of the game. I think what happened was he also got into foul trouble and we can get into the referees a little bit later. Um that sort of they sort of set this tone for how they were going to call the game. I mean, that's kind of why we'll get into that later, but continue on with what you're saying. But I think it comes down to Rick Barnes at the end of the day. Zakai yeah. Ziegler's on the floor with four fouls and four points, and you're not going to make yeah. a change. Yeah. That's that to me is just bad coaching. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That was an issue for sure. Um, yeah, so you mentioned the fouls. Let's get into that a little bit more. I think Zakai is a good defender. Um, the size does hurt him in terms of blocking, you know, anything. Um, in terms of just like posts, once they get past the three point line, um, his on ball defense kind of diminishes greatly. But if he's the off ball defender working on like cuts in the paint or whatever, he's able to get his hands in there and get a lot of steals or just deflections or just make your life hell for a ball handler. Um, but like I said, talking about the fouls, I mean, we played extremely aggressive. And I'm not saying the refs were bad by any means. I th- like there was missed calls for Kentucky. Um, I don't even think there was really a lot of missed calls for Tennessee, to be honest with you. It was more of Kentucky. We were just playing ridiculously aggressive. It almost seemed like we were overamped, which can happen in Thompson Bowling, as you know. Like it gets loud in there. Um, Kentucky was 22 for 25 from the free, f- free throw line, 88%, and committed 18 personal fouls. Tennessee was 7 for 10, 70%, obviously, and committed. 24 personal fouls. So we committed six more fouls and they shot um, 15 more free throws. So they over, they more than doubled the amount of free throws Tennessee shot. And I think because our whole team was in foul trouble, we were, Kentucky was consistently in the bonus. um, It just really affected the type of aggressive basketball style that they played defensively and really just broke it down and uh, made it difficult for us to do that. Yeah, and then furthermore, I feel like the Kentucky team just suits playing a physical defensive style because yeah. Shibway, even if you're playing physical on Oscar Shibway, he can still run through you. And that was, that was, it wasn't happening that much with Plavchic, but it was happening enough that it was noticeable that Shibway could just take the ball in the low post, make one move, and then he was gone. Yep. Um, this was something I, you and I had texted about. Jonas Adu looked like he played, he covered Shibway pretty well. Um, I think he has the size to keep in this foot speed. Well, Shibway's not like traditionally fast. He's faster than Euros by far. And I think Adu could kept up with him. Yeah, I thought Jonas Adu played well this game. Four, in 14 minutes, only took one shot and missed it. Had the four rebounds and an assist, only turned the ball over once. That's the other thing. We turned the ball over 11 times. Which... Yeah. <sighs> yeah. 
Not and to great. be fair, Kentucky turned it over 19 times. So, yeah, it wasn't exactly a clean basketball game, but no, I just and Jonas, Jonas Adu defends well on the inside. He's a good physical pre- presence inside, kind of kind of almost reminds me of a Nicole Jokic, like takes the ball inside, is able to either make moves towards the basket or pass it out from there. Yeah. But I just, when you play Oscar Sheeway, he's going to dominate against whoever you play. And to hold him to 15 points did well. Again, I don't have many problems with the defensive side of this game. It's just the offensive end needed way more to be done. Yeah, I completely agree. The offensive end just fell apart, and there was really just nothing they could get done. They couldn't penetrate. They couldn't get open shots um, and they just were so stagnant offensively that you just felt like it was like two point one point games for a very long time, but Tennessee could just not do anything about it. Um, So how did you watch this game? Because I saw you tweeting about how you watched it. I I want you to get into that a little bit. Okay. So on, so I turned on ESPN. That's where the game was broadcast. And a little thing popped up in my corner. This happens all the time. It happens a lot with Fox NFL games. And it said, this broadcast is available in 4K. And I'm watching it on a 4K TV. So I'm like, yeah, I'll watch it in 4K. And that broadcast um, didn't have any commercial breaks and just kind of sort of kept the in-arena feed going. Oh. It was just like a camera off off in the corner. Yeah. It was it was really nice because I was able to watch them retire Chris Lofton's jersey. Oh, that that's... Was, yeah, which a lot of... which most people got the talking heads instead. So that was pretty nice. Yeah. So speaking of the fucking talking heads, I'm a Jay Billis fan. That was one of the worst commentated games I've ever listened to. The amount of how one-sided he was, was really hard. It was hard to listen to the game and watch it because it was just like getting to the point where I couldn't really focus on it. The game I could, it was just it was so clear who he wanted to win and it was so clear that everything can Tennessee did was bad every time they looked at a review he was calling openly calling out the refs and saying that they were missing a bunch of calls the one that really pissed me off though was um i forget who was driving for kentucky but they elbowed santi in the mouth and at first it was a no call then they looked at it and then they gave it a flagrant one when they reviewed it uh, Jay Billis was saying, oh, that should be a foul on Santiago Viscovi. And essentially what happened was the guy, the Kentucky player drove. Santi moved his, fa- his feet and was not in legal guarding position, but did not make contact or initiate contact. Instead, he got elbowed in the mouth and then the ball went out of bounds. Jay Billis's whole argument was that because he was not in legal defending position, when contact was made, the foul should go to the offensive player. What happens if the offensive player initiates the contact i know in terms of a blocking foul that's a different story like that makes it a block that's the difference between a blocking foul and a charge when the player puts his arm out and elbows the off the defensive player in the mouth that's always an offensive foul and for bill is just to say like oh that was a foul on santiago viscovi and then call it a missed call and like you know act as if kentucky was getting no calls when they got a lot of calls there's a lot of missed calls as well he was not he was not um, wrong about that, but the way that he was just commentating was fucking atrocious. I don't know if you caught any of that. I mean, I did hear that 
so maybe I'm a little old school and I just like physical basketball, but I was fine with no call there. Yeah, me too. I was fine with that as well. I, I didn't think it was a foul on Vescovi. Yeah, I didn't. Vescovi didn't foul. It was if I was the ref there, I'd probably call a common foul on Kentucky. I understand you can't do that when you review. It has to be a flagrant. In that case, I probably would have let it go, but I can see why they called it a flagrant. However, for that to be a foul on Vescovy is just atrocious. Yeah, I understand what he's saying about the legal guarding position. It does not take into account. That's for blocking. That's for distinguishing between blocks and charges or if you like jump and are in someone's um, landing space when they when they shoot. So like say your defense defensive player, someone takes a jump shot and you're in their landing space or you touch them on the arm um, or it's like a 50-50 block or touch if you weren't in legal guarding position, then it goes to the offensive or the defensive player as a foul. But it just did not apply to what we were watching. So it, it just was really annoying, to be honest with you. And I know we're like, I'm not going to call for anyone's fucking job. I That's one of my pet peeves is when people call for coaches to be fired, commentators to be fired, because at the end of the day, these are people's livelihoods. So it's like, I don't want to see anyone fucking fired. I don't want to see anyone reprimanded. I just want to point out that it was really fucking annoying listening to this game. And you brought up the point that it was a blue blood school and that this always happens. Can you go into that a little bit more? So Jay Billis went to Duke. Yeah. Let's just start there. Yes. Um, but you see it on ESPN all the time. If you watch a Duke game, a North Carolina game, a Kansas game, a Kentucky game, Sometimes even a Gonzaga game. Like, I was watching Gonzaga-BYU, and it seemed a little yeah. bit favoritism towards Gonzaga. Yeah. Oh, but... Luke Walton. Or Bill Walton. Whatever the fuck. Oh, Walton. Bill Walton on Walton. UCLA games. <laughs> yeah. He's like, but... he must be high or something. He's like fucking weird on the commentary. Yeah. Him and Jack yeah. Edwards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jack Edwards has openly admitted to doing weed before games. Yeah, they were saying that he, um, Bill Walton, not Luke Walton, that Luke Walton's his weird son that diddled some girls um, and was the coach of the Lakers for a while. Whole mess. <clears throat> yeah, Jack Edwards, I was listening to the Spit and Chicklets podcast and they were saying that I guess Jack Edwards has to have a separate room away from everybody because he, he blazes the before and all day, I guess. So it's pretty funny that he's so high. Um, but yes, continue on about Jay Billis and Duke in the commentary um so whenever you watch a duke game north carolina game kansas kentucky this sort of thing is bound to happen where you just get into a situation where the commentary is obviously one-sided yeah and i mean i i understand the fact that people tune in to watch these teams but people don't tune in to watch you suck them off yeah yeah exactly and yeah, and as commentator ourselves, I know it's a very minor role what we did or what you continue to do. But I mean, like that was one thing that you always told me was like, you got to make sure you're one, not one sided. You got to make sure you're just telling the game how it is because it's not your show. Like you're not, no one's yeah. there for you. Like you said, no one, no one, not one person goes and is like, oh, I want to watch this game because I like the commentators. Um, maybe your mom. And yeah, mom. Maybe, exactly. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, so the fact that it's just like getting to be like that. And I'm pretty sure I never went to broadcasting school, but I'm pretty sure their first rule is to be fucking neutral would be my guess. So yes. um, I know that's the rule in journalism. That's what we try to do here is to, I mean, obviously we're going to be relatively biased towards specific teams, but we're open in our biases and we're also not as fucking professional as like Jay, Jay Bilas who gets paid. So um, 
yeah, a little ridiculous. I was a little upset about that. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about with this um, t- Tennessee game? Um, I mean, we pretty much covered all of it. It's just the yeah. the fouling was an issue. It was Kai Ziegler's shooting was an issue, and the missed layups and rebounds. Yeah, exactly. So welcome, Jack, to um, a lifetime of pain because this is essentially you've already you've already been exposed. This has been a pretty good season full of pain. Um, I would argue this one hurts a little bit more than some of the other stuff you've probably been um, exposed to so far with Tennessee sports. I would say the South Carolina one for me was number one most painful thing this year. This might have been number two, to be honest with you, because I, I think from that South Carolina game, we were just the season was over and we all kind of knew it. Um, yeah. All right. Transitioning now. Let's talk about Connor Bedard. Um, can you just give the audience who maybe doesn't listen to the Stick and Puck podcast? And if you don't, you should because it's a great podcast with Jack and Duncan. Um, can you just give them a brief rundown of who Connor Bedard is? Give them a little bit. Of, just give them a little idea. So Connor Bedard is an NHL draft prospect. Across the board, he's going to go number one. Whoever gets the first overall pick in the NHL draft lottery is going to pick him. That's a done deal. Um, so he plays in the Western Hockey League, which is a junior hockey league in Western Canada for the Regina Pats and played at the World Junior Championships for Team Canada, World Junior Championships, it's under 20. He's 17. So he's already younger than most, if not all, of the other players there. So he pl- he plays seven games in the tournament. Canada, his team, wins the gold medal. Nine goals, 14 assists in seven games. Oh. That's 23 points, which is just goals plus assists for anyone who doesn't follow hockey. Second place had 14 points. And Bedard is two years younger than most of the competition in this tournament. So I think it's fair to say that he's a generational talent in the um, game of hockey. I would say comparable to Connor Bedard is like Victor Wembanyama for this upcoming NBA season where it's just... He's a complete monster. Um, Bedard isn't like an athletic freak in terms of size. Like Victor Wimbanyama is 7'5". Connor Bedard's not like um, a physical freak. It's more of, I guess actually he'd be more comparable to Luka where um, you basically, he's been playing forever in like a professional setting. Did he get granted uh, exceptional player status from Canada? He did. Yeah, so he did. so he joined the Canadian Hockey League a year early. Yeah, so yeah, so for, I don't really know how to explain. Do you know how to explain that better? I just know what. So it's most of the time, you're only allowed to enter the Canadian Hockey League when you're 16. However, the Hockey Canada can grant a player exceptional status, which means they can come in a year early. It's been granted to among others, Connor McDavid, Shane Wright, right? Shane Wright. Yeah. For another example. Yeah. So he was granted that status. So he. He entered the 2020 WHL draft, was picked first overall by Regina, and then got it for that team since. Yeah. So basically, it's like Luca in that sense, where he's just been playing basically. I know it's amateur and junior hockey, but it's like some of the best competition there is for him to play in. Um, since I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not like he's playing in the Euro League where he's playing against adults. Yeah. He's not playing against adults right now, but he's playing against world class talent right now. So, um yeah so that's our little background on, on Connor Bedard 
Um, I just want to talk with Jack. I'm all in on Connor Bedard. I've been watching all of his fucking highlights. I'm all in. I think this guy is going to be, oh, yeah, hot take. I think this guy's going to be really fucking good. Um, I am so excited to watch him play. This guy, to me, or in, and to everyone else, the new McDavid, he's going to come in and, you know, um, completely change the franchise, hopefully, if I, if all goes accordingly, for the better. So, um, in the NHL, they have the, the lottery system as well, just like the uh, NBA. But for the NHL, which I really like and I think the NBA should do, I think they kind of do it, but they have 14 teams instead of 11. The NHL does 11. The bottom 11 teams um, are all draft eligible for the first pick. Um, is that correct? So it's any team that doesn't make the playoffs, but you can only move 10 spots. So if, say, oh. the first team, who would be the 17th best team, First yeah. team to miss the playoffs gets it. They would, they would just move up to six instead of moving up to one. I see. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So, so the, only the bottom eleven teams are eligible to get the first overall pick. Yes. So because of that, well, we'll I'm just going to highlight the bottom eleven teams: Chicago, Columbus, Anaheim, Arizona, San Jose, Montreal, Vancouver, Ottawa, Philly, Detroit, and Buffalo. Jack, can you give me your three teams that you want to see Connor Bedard? go to and i'll give you my three okay so this isn't me as a bruins fan this is me as a hockey fan i think Connor bedard would do really well in montreal i think they're sort of building a young base they have nick suzuki they have cole caulfield they drafted yurov slavkovsky in the recent draft i think they're sort of building a young core and adding Connor bedard to that in a first line center role could be something that i think would really improve that team and would be fun to watch that is also my first number one pick as a, I was going to say the exact same thing. Um, just as a, this is the, probably the biggest, um, I guess you could argue, argue with Philly, um, but in Chicago, but other than that, this is in Detroit. Those that's Montreal is probably the argue or arguably biggest market out of those bottom 11 teams, I would say. Um, and just getting him in there would be perfect because, you don't want him playing in fucking Arizona where it's like he's playing in front of 4,000 people. Um, yeah. We actually figured out on stick and puck that yes. if he went to Arizona, he would actually, he actually has higher attendance where he's playing now than he would in Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. In Regina, they, yeah, just like Jack said. So he's literally playing in front of bigger crowds now than in Arizona. Um, and then you don't want him going to like, yeah, you just don't want him going to Arizona. Uh, so yeah, I would love to see him go to like a hockey fucking area you know um what's your mm-hmm. second pick um my second pick this is a team more realistic to get him further down the standings it's the columbus blue jackets i think you put Connor bedard on a line with patrick line and johnny goudreau as the wingers and i think you have one of the best first lines offensive talent wise in the game i think columbus shows up for their team that's important and then Col- Columbus is a team that I think is one piece away. Even though they're 31st out of 32, they're bottom of the Metropolitan Division, bottom of the East Conference. I think they're a team where you just give them one piece and they're golden. Yeah, I I like that play or that idea a lot. Um, I think that's, you know, a really interesting um, pairing for sure. My number two is the Buffalo Sabres. Um, I think it would be really interesting to see him with, alongside like Tage Thompson out and then um, Rasmus Dahlin as well. Um, I know they're 
pretty – I mean, they, they were good in the beginning, right? And then they've sort of fallen mm-hmm. off recently. But um, I think that, obviously, if you're building something, those guys are all along, like, the same kind of timeline of growth. Uh, I think it would be interesting to see what that team could look like. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I think Buffalo would be a good place for him because if you if you say take Bedard and then Tage Thompson and then the defense top defensive pairing Will Power and Graspasoline, yeah, that's four of the best talents. That's probably one of the best four talents of teams that aren't say aren't in a playoff position right now. Yeah, so I think if you take those four players, those are four players you can build around and build towards the future and i know it's buffalo and buffalo hasn't made the playoffs in god knows how long but i still think that there's potential there for that yeah and i think they have a really solid fan base as well um so it's it's just like i said i just want him to go to a fan base that actually appreciates him um what's your final destination this isn't exactly a hockey market but it's the anaheim ducks i just want to see that's mine and connor bedard play together that's all it is yep that's totally what it is that's mine as well (laughs) it's really as simple as that Trevor Zegras um, and Mason McTavish as well, alongside fucking Connor Bedard. Who wouldn't want to see that? Like, really? You can get rid of literally anyone else, um, and I don't think it really fucking matters. Was there anyone else that you think would they, they should keep on that team? Anaheim? Troy Terry, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, it's fucking yard sale. Who gives a shit? I want to see. Yeah. Would you like Mason McTavish as well with them? I think so. I think he would be a good fit on that line. Yeah, he's pretty interesting. Um, okay, so let's get real quick before you go. Let's do three teams your least uh, that you would least want to see him go to. Um, so Arizona. Yep. Because they don't have a full arena. Chicago. Me too. That, because okay. we have the same one and two so far. Because I feel like Chicago doesn't deserve anything good to happen to them after the recent incident. Exactly. Re- incidents. There's been incidents. Of- yeah. <laughs> Maybe even more plural than that. Um, and then what's your third and final? Um, my third is probably Philadelphia because I don't want him playing with John Tortorell. John yeah. Tortorell will tell him to block shots and then healthy scratch him, and I don't want that to happen. Yeah, that's fair. I think mine is probably Ottawa, but I think – oh, no, he's a he's from Winnipeg, right? Bedard? Bedard's from Vancouver. Vancouver, Vancouver oh, okay. area. Yeah. Oh, we should have put them on our list as teams – like a lot seeing him play um hometown would be nice but um yeah i, I just I, I just don't like ottawa honestly it's because they have brady kachuk on there and i've always hated the kachuk brothers and i just hate watching ottawa although brady's the more um tolerable of the two matthew is the one he's my least favorite hockey player of all time matthew, um, Chuck, yeah yeah so i guess um yeah that that'll cover that for connor bedard so if you're um if you're wanting to get into hockey, a good way to start would be to, and you don't know what team to like, maybe just follow Connor Bedard to whatever team he is and just watch him grow like that. Um, that could cause some pain because if you did that with Connor McDavid, um, you're probably not the happiest fan. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for coming on, Jack. Uh, please make sure to check out Jack's work um, on his Twitter. If you look at his feed, he's got links to his, his writing um, for – the what's the name of it daily beacon student newspaper university of tennessee i'll be doing softball in the spring so if you want tennessee softball coverage that's where to go all right we'll have to have you back on the pod for tennessee softball coverage (laughs) um and then also obviously jack does stick and puck um on the lovecast podcast network so check that out as well 
Um, please make sure to like this episode and share with a friend. And thank you, Jack, for coming on. We will have you on again for sure. Of course. Love to be here.